Good morning. We're glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, uh, if you're uh, paying attention at all in our world today, you know of the tragedy that happened on Friday in a, a school in Connecticut. And uh, I was reading yesterday as I was reading through some of that stuff and I was reading some editorials and some comments and different things. And I sat at my desk and thought, do I just scrap what we're going to talk about and go to something else in light of something as horrific as that? And, and as I started to think about that and kind of come back to it, I thought, no, actually, I, th- I think it's very good for us to be in the book of First John chapter 1 this morning and what we're going to look at and what we're going to talk about. Because what I, what I saw as I was reading through different editorials and, and different deals, and you're just bombarded with stuff when something like this happens, and, and you see people start to argue over uh, things like um, gun control and different political issues and all these things. And it just dawned on me as I was, was reading that and thinking about it and just looking at it that... Uh, when we start to get off on those things and we miss that when something like this happens, that what's behind that, what, what the answer is and what's behind it is, is man's sin and that the only answer is Christ coming to us. What better place to be than in talking about the incarnation and Jesus coming to us in First John chapter 1. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend time t- talking about that and what it means that Jesus came to us and what he offers us. And, and uh, so... I want us just to pray as we begin, and then we're going to look at this uh, 10 verses in 1 John chapter 1 and just say, but let's go to him in prayer first. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many, many blessings. We do thank you for the beauty of this season and what it means and, and what the incarnation means and that you've come to us in the flesh. We pray this morning that we'd see it afresh, that we'd see it more fully than we ever have before. We pray that your spirit would be in this place moving Uh, enlightening us, showing us, teaching us, applying it to us, because without you and your spirit moving, we're helplessly lost. So we ask you to come and guide us and lead us in this time through your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we uh, think about this idea this morning, and uh, we're going to go at it just like this. You know, last week, uh, Chris started us in Hebrews 1, and he talked about the, the radiance of the glory of God and how we see God come down, and we're seeing God in the flesh and just... He, he kind of started us off on these couple weeks of just thinking about the incarnation. And we're going to follow that up today in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And that's on page 660. There's pew Bibles that look like this. If you're following along in one like this, it's on page 660. As we often say, if you need a Bible, uh, maybe you're visiting today or you forgot one or you just don't have one. These are free for you to take if you need one. That's a gift from us and we'd love for you to take one. But as we consider this this morning, this is uh, the big idea, big picture. Of what we're just going to talk for just a few minutes on what John tells us in the first couple of verses here about Jesus coming. The big idea of the incarnation just for a couple of minutes. And then we're really going to spend the bulk of our time of when Jesus comes, what, what do we get or what is offered to us? What does Jesus now give to us through the incarnation? And then secondly, what does that lead to? So what do we get and then what does it lead to? But before we do that, let's just think for just a second. Big idea about what it means that Jesus came down and came to us. So look with me at verses 1 and 2 of First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning which we've heard and which we've seen with our eyes and which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you. The eternal life, which was with the father, 
was made manifest to us. And I want to stop right there for just a second. As I was reading that this week and I kept coming back and rereading this first chapter of John over and over. Every time I got to the end of that second verse that I just have to stop. You get to that phrase, you know, I, I was joking with the guys in our elders meeting on Friday. I'm tempted just to read the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. And then just sit down and let us just think about that. The, the hugeness of the statement that John makes there and what that means that he tells us that, that the one that is eternal life, the one that's existed before all things, the one that's been with the father from all eternity past came down and entered into the story. He came into time and space. The one who created time and space comes into it. One that's not bound by that says, I'm now going to limit myself in this way and come in and come down to us. And so we start to think about the, the vastness of that. And to be honest, we just can't fully fathom that. We can't get it. The eternal coming into time and space. The one who spoke all things into existence. As John mentions here, he says in verse 1, the word of life. Right? If you read in John's gospel in chapter 1, he tells us that, that, that in, verse, in, chapter, or in verse 3 of chapter 1, that nothing was made without Jesus. Nothing that was made was made without him. And that one that made all things, that spoke him into existence, that existed before all creation was ever started, now comes into it. And I was struggling with, I don't even know how you explain that. There's, there's not really words to, to, to get around that. But I, I went back and I was reading some different quotes and things. C.S. Lewis often writes about the incarnation and he'll talk about it. And he does in different ways. And if you ever read C.S. Lewis, I've had a joke for a long time back to when I was working with the high school students. We just always say, if we didn't know how to explain it, we can just go find a C.S. Lewis quote that would say it probably better than I ever could. And so just listen to this short quote from Lewis, and then we're just going to leave that there, and then we're going to move on to what do we get from him coming. But Lewis says this, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how would you like to become a slug or a crab? And that's just scratching the surface. But what C.S. Lewis is trying to do there is just showing us the eternal limiting himself and coming into time and space and that what that is. And so just with that thought in mind, I want us to move through this passage and just think about what do we get? What is offered to us? What comes to us by Jesus coming to us and entering in to time and space? And so let's look at just verse three here together. Verse three. So. I'll go back in two just a little bit. The eternal life that was which the was with the father was made manifest to us that which we've seen and heard. We we proclaim also to you. And then he says, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about, well, what do we get? What is the offer? What now happens? And, And the answer is we get fellowship with the God of the universe. Or another way to say it is, is we get Jesus. We get God coming into time and space so that we can know him. He can restore our relationship with him and we can have fellowship with God. And so we're really just going to spend most of our time this morning on on that idea, considering what that means to have fellowship with the eternal God that created all things. 
And just to, to dwell on that for a minute, that uh, as we think about that, what does that mean to have fellowship with God? And, and, and what is it? And, and how do we have it? And what does that look like? And what it is to have fellowship when we think about that is just a, a deep, uninterrupted intimacy. We were made for his immediate presence. And he comes down to restore that to us, to bring fellowship And so John tells us that he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us and our fellowship, as he says, is indeed with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus came to us to give us that fellowship. And so as we consider that, I want us just to think about why that's even important. Maybe you sit here today and you're uh, you've come to church. It's getting close to Christmas. Maybe you come, you go, well, I should go. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't really think it's all that important. Or maybe you're a Christian. You've you've put your faith in Christ and you think, yes, that's a good thing, but it's become kind of ho-hum. Yeah, it's a good thing, but whatever. It's just, it's good, but, or or maybe that's the way we look at it. So I want us just to say this fellowship with God, how important is that? And, And the answer biblically would be it is the most important thing there is. It is the most important thing. And you can say, oh, wait a second. Yeah, big deal. OK, I'm not opposed to God. That's good. But really the most important thing. And my answer to that would be it's the deepest desire of your soul. And again, you might object to that. And you may say, well, maybe not. Right. It's good. I'm not opposed to God. I care. I'm here. But deepest desire of my soul. Maybe that's a bit much. Right. Sometimes we kind of. Uh, if we're really honest, maybe we live that way. Yeah, it's good, but but I want us to think about that uh, that that that's not over the top. That's not too much. He is our deepest desire, and I want us just to think about uh, even if you're not sure about that, you live like like he is. And, and let me explain that what I mean by that. Uh, in our life, we seek deep connections. Uh, we seek uh, intimacy. We think we seek. Uh, uh, families or, or marriage or jobs or different things. And through those things, we seek uh, validation and acceptance and all these things that we look for. And we're seeking fulfillment in all different ways. And so you may say, well, how does that prove to me that I'm seeking God, that God is the desire of my heart? And, and I would tell you like this, what scripture says that all good things, all those things that God brings into us, into our lives that bring Happiness that bring fulfillment that bring they do bring all those things and there's lots of good things that come out of it. But when we look at scripture, what it tells us is all those things that God made and all those good things are there to point us to him. And so when we seek validation in those things, we're seeking to fill up a desire that we have deep in our hearts that only he can fulfill. But what happens is is so often, as as, uh, Paul says in Romans one, we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship the creation rather than the creator. We get it backwards. We begin to seek our fulfillment and our being and, and all of that through relationships with people versus relationships with God. And that's not to say relationships with people is bad. It's a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. And so in our lives, we seek all sorts of things to find meaning and we struggle with it and we come at them and we try to get it. And, and what scripture tells us is all of those are really pointing us to God. I'll give you an example. Did a wedding this week and you stand there and you look at the bride and groom and you tell them both that, yes, marriage is good and you love each other and that's wonderful. But this picture is a picture of the way Christ loves the church. 
God gave us marriage to point us to how he loves us. People don't like to hear that. <laughs> a lot of times they go, well, what? Really? It's secondary. It's a picture and it's wonderful and marriage is a wonderful gift from God and wonderful good things come out of it. And yes, it's great, but it's just a picture to point us to how much that we're to love God, that he is to be the sinner. Everything that God's given us, all the good gifts that he give us point us to those things. Because after all, we were made for his immediate presence. We were made to have that relationship first. So that is the deepest desire of our heart. Now, the problem that we find ourselves in is because we have sinned, because we have decided to turn our back on God, because we've become self-centered, I will decide what's right for me. Right? That's what we all do. We all do it over and over. We've done it many, many times. We do that and we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then we start to fill and seek to fill our lives with other things instead of him. And what happens when we do that and what we're getting at when we go after that is we're trying to seek an eternal void, right? The one who was before eternity that made all things that has now come down to us. We're seeking to fulfill an eternal void with temporary things. They can't do it. And so I say that, that in your life, whatever is most important, whatever you've made the deepest desire of your heart, that is there to point you to God. Whether you realize it or not, that's why it's there. Those things are there to point you to your love for him, that he is the only thing that can fulfill you. And so as we think about that, just uh, what why this is so important, it's because that's what you were made for. That's the way God designed you and the way he made you. And so what, what the problem is and what John starts to point us to and as he brings it to Jesus coming to us in the incarnation and God stepping down into the story, he's come to remove the distance. He's come to remove the things that have warped our sense of the way we find fulfillment. He's come to rearrange it, so to speak, to put it right. To set it to rights. And so what we see is John says here that there is a distance between us and God. Our fellowship has been broken and Jesus comes to fix that. He comes to fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. Look at what John says about that distance between us. Look at verses five and six here. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right, so just stop right there for just a second. Hear what John's saying. God is perfect. He is perfect light. That image that he's using here for light and darkness. There is no darkness in God. He is absolutely perfect love and mercy and justice and every attribute that he has. In perfect balance, perfect. There, there's no darkness. There's no deficiency. There's nothing wrong. That is who God is in and of himself. And he's perfect. And you see that in verse five, but then look at what he says in verse six about us. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Right? We're not perfect. Look at verse eight. He says it again there. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are sinful people that walk in the darkness that have turned away from God and God is perfect. And then look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so when you start to take all those together, what you have is this picture of darkness and light. We are in the darkness. God is light. We're separated. 
right? Where the light is, there can't be darkness. That's just simple fact, right? Where the light is, there's, you turn on the light and it's not dark anymore. And so it says where God is, there is only light and there can't be darkness. And so we in our sins are in the darkness. And there's that, that uh, void that uh, we're separated in that way. And so what John starts to tell us is, is this is why he comes. He comes down to fix this problem, to deal with it. Right? We cannot have fellowship with God while we are yet in our sins. Because when we're clinging to our sins, that means we're turning from him and we're walking away from him and we're denying him. And we can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. You either choose God or you choose your sin. See, oftentimes we like to try to kind of finesse this a little. We like to soften the edges of what God says about our sin and who we are. And oftentimes we say things like, well, God is good and God is love. And you'll hear this a lot today. God is love and he's merciful And I don't know about Jesus and I'm not really sure about what God, the Bible and all that stuff. But God is love and he will welcome us back in love. I used to have a neighbor that would tell me that all the time. Well, God's just going to welcome us all back in love. And what that says, though, I want you to be careful. Maybe that's what you say. You go, I'm not really sure about Jesus and sacrifice and what he came to do and all those things. But God will just welcome us back in love. And I want you to understand what you're saying when you say that. You're saying that the sin that you have, the the times that you've ignored God, doesn't really matter. He'll just let it slide. And what John tells us here, though, is that's not the case because God is perfectly light and we're in the darkness and you can't have the two together. They don't go together. He can't just let it slide because God is love and he is perfect love, but he's also perfect justice. And so he can't just let those things go. And so when we start to say that we're missing it, or when we start to say things like, well, I've done some bad things. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up, but I go to church, right? It's it's Christmas. I go to church on Christmas and I go to church on Easter and I get there a few other times, or I do this, or I pray sometimes, or I do that. And you start to add up your stuff and you go, well, that kind of covers my darkness, right? Yeah, I sinned, but I did these other good things. But what it tells us is we can't get rid of the darkness on our own. We can't do it. That when God says it's perfect, he is perfect light. And in him there is no darkness. That means there can't be any. And so no matter how many good works you try to do to make up for the bad things that you did, you can't balance that out. You can't do it. And so the picture that John starts to show us is is that we can't do it on our own. And that's why Jesus had to come to us. That fellowship with God has to come through God, what he does for us. And if we miss that, we miss it completely. That's why when you hear people say things like, well, the spirit of Christmas is that we just try to love each other a little more. It doesn't really matter what Jesus really did and said. It's just the idea of it. And you'll hear that a lot. If you really listen, you'll hear people say that quite often. It's just the idea. Just try to love one another and try to get along and be a little nicer and we give gifts and that's good. And that's what it really means. That's the true spirit of Christmas. But that's not it. Because if that's it, if Jesus is just an example, we try to follow, we can never do away. We can never make it up. We can never enter into fellowship with the perfect, holy God of the universe. It can't happen. And so what John tells us, the good news of the gospel is right here in the midst of all our sin and God's perfectness. And that that distance, that rebellion that's there is verse nine. He says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what it says is Jesus comes and graciously will remove the barriers. He will take the darkness and he will shine his perfect light and then he will forgive you. But in order to do that, you have to confess your sins. You have to say, yes, there's darkness in me and I can't do anything about it. I have walked away and I've ignored you and now I need you to take it and and do away with it. And he says, if you do, he will. And that's why he had to come. He had to come to live the perfect life, to satisfy God's justice. And so Jesus lives perfectly and he walks through and he obeys and he loves God and he loves man. And he does it all the way to the end and he gets to the end and he deserves all the blessings that go with it. And he says, no, I'm going to let you have it. I'll take your sin. You take my blessings. All you have to do is confess your sin and lay it before me. And I give it to you as a free gift. And so that's the picture that's here. We, we get exposed when we confess our sin. But the good news is that we serve a gracious and loving God that says, I'll forgive you. It's when we hide and we walk and we say, no, it's not that bad. It's not that. Bad. That's when there's no forgiveness because we have to confess our sins and put our faith in him. And so that's the picture that John shows us, that Jesus came to do what we can't do for us, not just simply to be an example, not simply to be an idea of Christmas. Just love one another and follow my example and everything will be good. That's not the case. That's not what it says. We have to confess our sins and put our faith in him. And when we do, we get him We get returned fellowship with him because in him is no darkness. But when we're washed clean in Jesus, now we get to come right into his throne room and know him and come directly to him because of the way he loves us and what he's done for us. And that he's completely cleansed us from all unrighteousness. The greatest gift that ever was. That's it. That's that's the meaning of Christmas. But I want us to think for just a second. What exactly does that mean? Oftentimes we, we talk in Christian language and Christian words and we say fellowship with God, right? Well, what does that mean to have fellowship with God? Infinite, eternal God of the universe. You know, in a, uh, you go all the way back in the Old Testament when we were walking through the big picture and you get this promise in Jeremiah that says, uh, I'm going to have a new covenant. And in that, and this is the first part I would say of fellowship is that God's going to come and he's going to give you a new heart. He's going to rearrange the way you see things. See, right now we seek to fill our hearts with with relationships. We make our family the number one priority in our life. Family. We put that above God and God says, well, wait a second. You, you, You confess your sins and I cleanse you from all unrighteousness and I give you. And then your family takes its proper place below God. And sometimes people go, what? Love God more than your family? Really? More than my kids? Well, the good news is when you do that. When you see God in his proper place, then you love your family better. Because they're not idols. They're not in a place that they can never live up to. Or your spouse or your job or whatever it is. If you put them first, they will disappoint you. Because they were never meant to be in that place. And so when we get fellowship with God, we get a a reordering, a new nature that begins to see things as they are. And it starts to, to show us. And he gives us, the second thing it says, he gives us new desires. Yes, we have a new nature, but then we have new desires and we start to see him as he is and we start to want to spend time with him. And then everything starts to fall in its proper place. 
There's a, a peace and a joy and all these things that come when we start to see things as they are in the way they were intended because you were made for God's immediate presence to be in fellowship with him. That is your deepest heart's desire. And so when you confess and Jesus comes in and he gives you his spirit and he lives inside of you, he starts to show you how he satisfies all your needs. And you have new desires and, and along with that new desires, you want to spend time with them. You want to spend time in prayer. You want to spend time in his word. You want to seek him to know him. I was thinking about that just uh, just a fraction of the picture. But it's like in our lives when we uh, when you fall in love. And you want to spend time with with that person all the time and you want to talk to him and you don't get tired. I was thinking about when Joanna and I first met, we were in a class together in physics and I was bombing horribly. The first, this is I. I've said this enough. I don't really care anymore. I'm way past this. And I passed the class. But the first test came back. I got a 27. That's out of 100. She got an 89. And then they put the curve up on the board. 27 was a C. It was a hard class. 27 was a C. And so I started asking her. And we started studying together some. And I remember going to a study session in the middle of campus at nine o'clock at night and we went and it's an hour long thing and I didn't have a clue what they just said. And we walked out and we just started talking. And I remember looking down at my watch and it was three o'clock in the morning. And you're standing in the middle of campus and you go, all these hours go by. And what happens is that, that new desires, when, when you fall in love, those, that time just flies by. And it's the same thing when fellowship with the holy God of the universe, he gives you new desires he gives you a new nature and he, you start to see him for as he is. And then he gives you new desires and then you just want to spend time with him. And you get lost in seeing who he is and, and praying to him and seeing his word and trusting him and walking with him. And then the, the next thing that happens is this wonderful thing. It's part of the subjective picture of what it means to be a Christian. And you can't really explain this unless you know what I'm talking about. Unless you've put your faith in him. But then, then you know he's there. I open my Bible and he meets me there. I'm not just reading words on a page. He's showing me things. I read the same thing a hundred times and then all of a sudden there's something new. I'm not that smart. He comes and he begins to show you and he and he talk. He talks. I, now, that's that's where you get into trouble. God talks to me. People go, really? <laughs> Normally you say that and immediately somebody goes, that guy is insane. He thinks God talks to him. And I'm not, I'm not going to backpedal from that, but I will say it's never been a burning bush. It's never been a bright, shining light booming down. But I hear him and he tells me things and he comforts me and I know he's there. And so that fellowship grows. The intimacy grows that, you know, he's there and it leads to a confidence in who he is and what he's doing. You know, I was thinking about that this this week, when you look at what happened in that shooting in the school and you see all that and you go, oh, and your heart aches, and I immediately go to, how in the world could you make it through that without Jesus? How in the world do you go forward? Because I know him and I know what it's like and I know that I can't get through it without him. And so that leads to what what I'm going to say is just our last point here as we as we get to the end of of what does that lead to? Well, there's two things I want us to say. One is joy. And we're going to come back to that next week. But you see that right there in verse four. He says, 
so that you can have fellowship with him. And then he says, and we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And I was going to try to put those together. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't get them. We'd be here for a while. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Right. If you notice in your bulletin, it says the fellowship and joy. And this is part one. We'll come back to part two, the joy next week. But there's another thing it leads to, and this is what we're going to end with today. If you just read verses 1, 2, and 3, and you start to think about the tone and the way John is talking. This is the disciple John that lived with Jesus for three years, that saw everything. And so he's telling you, he says, from the beginning, what we've heard and what we've seen and what we've looked upon. And he says, what we've touched with our hands. And he's telling you all these things. And he says that that life, that eternal God was made manifest to us. And then look what he says. And we testify to it and we proclaim it. We tell you that the eternal one has come down and has offered fellowship to us. And then he says it again. What we've seen and we heard, we proclaim also to you. And so what it leads to is a proclamation. What it leads to is when you see heartbroken people that have just lost their children, you go, I have the answer. I know how you get through that. Because I know the God of the universe and he's come down and I know him. And it leads to wanting to tell people to let them know that there's hope in the midst of suffering. That God is in control and you see we can see what he's doing. And so it leads us to this wanting to know, wanting to tell people. And maybe you're skeptical of that, and sometimes you go, I don't know about all this, and, and really going and telling people evangelism, we're really just going to walk up and talk to people about Jesus. Not sure about that. Or maybe you're not a Christian, you think that sounds a little bit crazy. And what's, I want you to think about what John saw. Right, The Apostle John, when he says here what I have seen and what I've touched and what I've heard, what John saw was Jesus teaching and preaching, he saw Jesus with the woman at the well and offering uh, water that will satisfy you for your entire life. And he saw Jesus stand up and say, come to me, all you who are, are heavy burdened. And he saw all these things with his own eyes and he watched him. And not only that, he then saw Jesus go to the cross and die. He saw Jesus on the cross say, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And then three days later, he got to touch them. Because he raised from the dead and John saw it. And you think, what would you do if you had seen all that? You'd do exactly what he's saying. You'd go tell everybody. You're not going to believe this. But the God of the universe actually came down and did these things. And so oftentimes we look at that and maybe your objection goes, yeah, yeah, well, if I was John, I would do that too. Right? If I'd seen all that John saw, I would, I would be right there too. Yeah. Well, let me remind you what Jesus says in John 16. He says, it is better for you that I go away because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so when you become a Christian, you get him living inside of you. You have it better than John had it when he was walking with him. You have it better. And so as I was thinking about this, why we don't share the gospel and why we don't speak up and why we don't say things. And I get that oftentimes there's a a struggle with just I don't know enough or what will people think. That's our flesh. That's understandable. I struggle with those things. Ah, they're going to think I'm crazy if I say this. 
if you go through those thoughts and those things, and I get it, and I understand that, and as we walk, and as we fellowship more with him, those things start to go down, and he becomes more and more real, and those things start to fade. But the one thing I, I don't get, and we're just going to end here as we think about this week, and as we move towards Christmas, the one thing I don't get is I don't get, when we come to this time of year, how we're more excited about an iPhone than we are about Jesus. How we are more excited about the stuff that means nothing. I want you to think about just very practically when you're walking everywhere you go. If I'm with my kids, what do you guys want for Christmas, right? You go into stores or people say, ah, oh, you getting ready for Christmas? You excited? What would you ask for? Next time somebody says that to you, say, yes, I'm excited about Christmas because the God of the universe came down and I know him. Be more excited about what God has done in Jesus than the things we try to make it about. As we walk towards Christmas, I, I just pray that that's what we're encouraged about, that we're seeking to worship him, that we're seeking to fellowship with the one that can bring us satisfaction, that can bring you joy, that can meet you in the midst of your needs. Because I guarantee you, no matter what you get for Christmas, it can't do that. Whatever it is. And by the way, that doesn't mean you shouldn't give gifts and you shouldn't love spending time with your family and love watching your kids open gifts. Those are all great, but they need to take their proper place. And their proper place is they pale in comparison to what God has done for us in Christ. And so we just try to focus on that. It's, it's like we're fighting the tidal wave of our culture of what it's saying. This is what God's word says. That he is valued, he's worth infinitely more than anything else. And so I just pray that that's our focus and that's our hope and that's the fellowship and the joy and the things that we're seeking. And next week we'll, we'll finish this and we'll talk about that joy that comes only from him that, again, far outweighs anything else. But let's go to him in prayer and thank him. Dear Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for what is available to us through what you've done for us. That you came to us and that you've removed our sin. That if we just confess you as Lord, you graciously take all of it and you remove all barriers and you restore us to fellowship. And so we thank you for that. We pray that we would be so quick to point others to that. That we would uh, go out. We would tell it on the mountain as we just sang. That we would go forth and proclaim that you've come and what that means. And that would be our heart that we would seek to tell each and every person we come into contact with and that we'd love them through that. Lord, as we pray today, as we know that answer, as we see it, we pray for those that are mourning today, that are, that are hurt and that are tired and that are just overwhelmed with grief by the atrocities that they saw this past week. We pray for not just those in Connecticut, but those around the world that are suffering loss and, and that we know the answer is you. So we pray that your grace would just be poured down on them and you would reveal yourself, that they would see that there is hope in you and nothing else. We thank you for this time of year. We thank you for the way that you've blessed us beyond anything we ever could imagine or deserve. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.